Hey folks, welcome to episode 103 of Coming Up Next Podcast, the podcast with Alistair Marks, where I speak with some of the world's top creatives about how they've managed to create a life of their own design. This is episode 103, which means that next week is episode 104, and by my calculations, that means that next week is the two-year anniversary of Coming Up Next, the show that stays alive thanks to you, the listener. That's right. I can keep the show going, I can keep the show free, and I can keep the amazing guests rolling out like my guest this week, Princess Pictures producer, Laura Waters, by you doing a couple of simple things. Now, whether this is your first time tuning in or whether this is your 103rd time tuning in, the show stays free thanks to you, thanks to you subscribing, thanks to you rating, and thanks to you reviewing the show. All you have to do is go to comingupnext.com.au where you can find the previous 102 episodes. You'll find links to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And at those applications, you can also rate and review the show, which I think you should do because it's a good thing to do. Doing that will, will make you feel good and, you know, the show's free, so why not? Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. I, I heard that your offices are kind of inundated at the moment with, uh, with lots yeah. of goings-ons. I know. Well, I've actually, I've been away for a month, but I just got back. Yeah, and while I was away, everybody was sending me pictures of the office going crazy because I always want to be squeezing more people in. And they were like, it's happening. You're squeezing. Because <laughs> <laughs> whenever we get more people, um, there's always a conversation about should we get like a separate production office or, you know, we ha- and I'm always like, no, we've got too much space here. Let's make everybody be crowded. Um, <laughs> and now it's happened. Now you're literally squeezing people in. <laughs> yeah. All our conference rooms are gone too because they've become like wardrobe and right, you know, other things. And I'm like, good. Was that the sort yeah. of vision that you had when you started Princess Pictures? What, 14 years ago? No, I had no. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know if I had a vision. If they're like part of the what has been great and also maybe a problem with Princess is that I never saw it as a business, so. I just was like, I want to make cool stuff. And the more cool stuff that, you know, I can be part of, the better. But I hated the idea of a business plan or I never had any desire to build a business. I just wanted to make cool things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, which is great in one way. But then as we've gotten bigger, it's like I've had to accept that it is a business. Yeah. (laughs) So luckily (laughs) I have other partners now who (laughs) care about that side of it. And they're convincing me. I think we've just done our first business plan. Right. Yeah. So... I was kind of involved in it. <laughs> I didn't drive it. Did you do things like mission statements? and? They had all that stuff. And we had to spend two days with like a consultant guy and in a room. And, you know, it was like, what are five words that sum up princess? And I was like, oh, my God, I want to kill myself. <laughs> About halfway through the first morning, I honestly started thinking if – like terrorists ran in here right now and kidnapped you for two days and put you in a cell for two days, but you knew you were getting out at the end of that. Would you rather be in the cell for two days or here? (laughs) (laughs) And I really was thinking about it. And I thought, well, in the cell, I could like meditate and do yoga and everything. I think I'd go for the cell. Right. (laughs) But I sat through the two days. It was fine. <laughs> I can definitely relate. I, uh, I can think of jobs that I've been on where I've seen like the garbage man go past, and I've thought, would I, if it was like, if it was yeah. be do this, continue doing this, or be the garbage man for the same amount of time? <laughs> would I prefer to do that? I'm like, I think I would. Yeah, yeah. totally. The non-stressful jobs always look really appealing. Yeah, when yeah. You're in the middle of something, but although I'm sure like, they're stressed. I was going to say, then you smell like garbage. Yeah. You can shower. That's true. You can shower. (laughs) 
Laura Waters is the woman behind one of Australia's foremost production companies, Princess Pictures. She's the woman behind the man that is Chris Lilly, having produced all of his shows and establishing herself as one of the preeminent figures in Australian film and television. One of her latest projects, My Year 12 Life, which we talk about uh, in this interview, is available to watch on YouTube and you can get the Chris Lilly collection on iTunes, which includes Angry Boys, Summer Heights High and We Can Be Heroes. So while you're adding those to your shopping cart, I hope you enjoy episode 103, which is me in the chat cave with Laura Waters. Meditation, is that something that you kind of um, actively participate in or do? I aspire to do it more than I do, which is probably why the two days seemed appealing. Yeah. (laughs) Do (laughs) a two-day Vipassana. Yeah. But I started about a couple of years ago, I think, and I do it sporadically. But I just, I'm obsessed with Russell Simmons. Do you know who he is? I don't know Russell Simmons. He um, is kind of like a father of hip-hop, and he started the first hip-hop record label but he's also really into like yoga and meditation he wrote a book on it and now he's just opened a like yoga center in LA wow yeah and I just spent I've just been in LA for a month so I was going there constantly and I went to a couple meditation things that he led and he was like you need to meditate every day Mm. so now I'm back re-energized yeah wow I definitely hear um, the positive effects of uh, meditating every day I've I've done like qigong before for sustained oh, periods. Oh, okay. Um, but I've, I don't think I've ever. Ah, uh, I have. I have done. Um, had a meditation practice in kind of short bursts, but it's What's very qigong. What is that? Qigong's kind of like. Uh, I've seen that word, but I don't... it's it's like a kind of um, tai chi meditation. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's it's kind of like a martial art. It's kind of like yoga. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I started doing it a few years ago and I found that that was the thing for me that really kind yeah. of grounded and centered me. It's physical and... Yeah. Yeah. But it's very slow and very um, deliberate as well. Right. Wow. All mm. right. I'll be YouTubing that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what were you in LA for business reasons or was it to see family or what was the purpose of that um, trip? Mostly for work. But, you know, I do have family over there and friends and stuff. So I did. I was there for a month, but I left for a week and went to Mexico. With oh, friends. cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you... so, yeah, there were friends involved, but it was mostly for work. So do, so I know that you studied in, in Boston. Is that yes. the sort of area that you grew up in? No, I, um, I mostly grew up in Colorado, kind of. My family are like New York Jews, but yeah. they fled to Colorado <laughs> and um, and I grew up there so I had kind of a I mean it was a great childhood but a bit weird because there were no Jews in Colorado yeah and um, so um, yeah so I left there when I was 18 and went to Boston and yeah went to university there but I'd always had this kind of life where you know I'd go to New York every year and that was unusual for people in Colorado. Mm. So, yeah, I always kind of had a little bit of... I mean, I think everybody feels like they're weird or don't fit in in some way. I had tons of friends and, like, a great child, and I love it there. I still love it there. But I think I always had that feeling of, like, I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, a New York Jew background. It's weird. Where do you get your challah from in Colorado? <laughs> Nowhere. Yeah. Where I was growing up, there was, yeah, there was nothing like that. There was no synagogue when I was there or anything. Not that we were particularly Jewish, but there was nothing culturally Jewish whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in your kind of upbringing that was, you know, like, I'm Jewish as well, my family... Uh, not religious at all, but they're quite traditionalist. Like, yeah. for example, tonight I'll have dinner with my family. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, over Passover or Rosh Hashanah, yes. we have big dinners, but we don't really... It's not really celebrating the religion so much as it is celebrating family and, and yes. kind of values, I guess. Tradition. Yeah, tradition. Yeah. Like like um, in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. It was exactly <laughs> like Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> no. Yeah, our, my family was definitely like that like very traditionally 
Jewish, like very, both my parents were teachers. So, you know, they were really into us and understanding the history and understanding our roots like that. But we didn't do anything particularly religious. And where I grew up is very Christian. And, you know, there were a lot of born again Christians. And so, yeah, being Jewish was kind of weird. <laughs> But nobody hated. I I remember when I was really little, I was like walking to kindergarten one day with somebody on my street and I said, I'm Jewish. And he said, what's that? And I said, (laughs) "Uh, we don't believe in Jesus. And he was like, that's, you know, he just looked at me like that's impossible. And we moved on. (laughs) And that's kind of what my childhood was like. There was no anti-Semitism or anything, but people were just like, oh, I don't get that. And just sort of, (laughs) it was like that. So do you remember in your childhood being, um, being quite creative or um, creating things, telling stories, that sort of thing? Yeah. My mother, especially my mother works in like theater. So we always had like music and dancing and she was encouraged, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah, I always like around the house and lots of craft projects and making things. And, um, but she also really got us to, you know, do a lot of like ballet classes and singing and, you know, there was always that going on. And we always, my brother and I had lots of, we were constantly putting on shows. (laughs) So we had like a news program and (laughs) we had all kinds of things going on. Yeah. So I guess that was always going on. And were your parents, uh, you know, supportive of this, of that kind of thing when you sort of decided that that was something that you were intending to pursue beyond, you know, childhood Uh, kind of sketches? Totally. Yeah, they were. Well, I went to, in fact, my father, because my father is a physics professor. um, So both of them really valued education. And when I decided I wanted to go into film and television, they were into it. But my dad, I remember saying, like, I'll just go to the local to like Colorado University and University of Colorado in Boulder. And um, he said, no, you should go. You should go somewhere. I think I'd been accepted to Boston University and the University of Colorado. And he said, you should go to Boston University because college should also be about like meeting new people and having bigger experiences. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they always valued that. Yeah. So they were really encouraging of just education. And so when you did go to um, to university in Boston, what was mm-hmm. the kind of pathway for you from there? Because I know that you kind of, you started off in more, um, uh, I guess, journalistic sort of, is that a word? Journalistic? Yeah. Journalism. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> More factual based yes. uh, television. Um, yeah. Before you kind of, before you established Princess Pictures and all of that. So, what was your pathway to that world? Well, I think, I mean, my parents were also both really into social justice. And, you know, my mother, especially, was always like protesting, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I think having grown up in such a small place, but always like we had a year where my dad did a sabbatical in England in Nottingham. And because I was going to New York all the time to see my grandparents, I always was aware of a much bigger world than the place that I'd grown up in. So I think I had this really innate feeling of wanting to explain to people about a bigger world and also, you know, a real social justice thing. And in America, there's so much injustice mm. and so many people that suffer. So I really wanted to help with that. So that's why I went into journalism originally. I really just wanted to work in documentaries. And so when I got to BU, I was in the film and television program, but I did a lot of that. And then I did, I had a semester abroad in England. And then anyway, lots of boring bits and pieces, but I ended up (laughs) working in London. I did an internship in London with an investigative documentary production company and then moved back to Washington, D.C. And that's and then I worked in the the bureau, the ABC, Australian ABC News Bureau there. So the whole time it was just like saving the world, saving the world. Um, But then when I moved here, 
well, I met my husband and moved here and was working in that area, but it was just, they're just, I was like, it's just not as bad here. Mm. <laughs> I don't feel like I can save <laughs> everybody's sort of doing more or less. Okay. Yeah. I remember, in fact, I was just talking today about how I worked for a youth current affairs show and we were going to do an episode on racism and all the research came back and it was about Italian and Greek people. And I was like, but these, this is, these people are white. Like even the racism is just white people against white people. (laughs) This country is ridiculous. So I kind of, yeah, I ran, I got a job running the Melbourne Bureau of the 730 report. Oh, wow. And that, I was like, just these stories are not powerful enough. It was a lot of like consumer, I don't know, you know, it's like Canberra-ish things about rules. And I was like, this just isn't capturing my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> not saving enough people. These are strange problems. <laughs> yeah, it was weird problems to have. <laughs> so, Yeah. That's a long answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, is your husband Australian or is he American? Yeah, he's Australian. He was in Hunters and Collectors. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so when they came through Washington, that's when we met. Right. How did you meet? We met because at the Australian ABC News Bureau, there was a reporter there who had been in a band with some of the people from hunters and collectors before they were hunters and collectors. And so she knew them and um, she took me to their show. They were opening for midnight oil on yeah, a right. big world tour. I didn't know who they were. I was not a groupie. I want that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you kind of transcend not being a groupie and, and uh, become dating? We had, I mean, it was back in like the days of faxing. So we faxed <laughs> each other a lot. <laughs> And we called each other and um, he came to L.A. a couple of times, which is where I was. I moved to L.A. and was working for a, a really silly show. And th- yeah, we just and then I came here and he just really, you know, made it like the most fun two weeks you could possibly have in Melbourne. And then we decided to get married. So, yeah, I moved over here and, you know couldn't get a job for a long time so I tempt which was a really really great thing to do in hindsight at the time I was like get me out of here <laughs> but um <laughs> I got to I was a temp secretary and so I worked in a lot of different offices just normal places and that was like the greatest education and kind of in a way I feel like gives me a strange advantage sometimes because when you work in television, you can just find yourself just surrounded by people who work in television and all your stories are about working in this privileged world. Whereas I kind of feel now like I have this reference point of what it's like to work in just normal places. And, you know, I got to know a lot of people and just have like, just what life is like when you don't work in television in (laughs) Australia, you know, give you a solid grounding. Yeah. Yeah. In some sort of reality. Yeah. Yeah, real reality. Rather, because television can eat itself pretty easily. Yeah. That's boring. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you make the decision that you were going to leave the strange current affairs stories, um, the weird problems behind and, and move into comedy? I decided that I had a baby or I had like a young daughter And so I thought I'll go part time. And then it just took me ages. Nobody would hire me. Nobody wanted to hire me part time. Then nobody wanted to hire me at all. And I was starting to panic. And then I got a call from Artist Services at the time. And they had this really (laughs) a fashion show. They were Foxtel had just started and they were making a fashion show for Foxtel. And they asked if I would produce it. It was really low budget and I was like, sure, but it ended up being hosted by Hugh Jackman before he was little known Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Little, he was literally the head of Foxtel. Brian Walsh was like, there's this guy. I think we should get him as the host. I think he's going to be big. I was like, okay. 
and um, Rove, and then I hired Rove to be a reporter on it. And at one point, Brian even said, oh, there's this actor that I think you, you guys should have be like, do one special report. And we were like, Ugh. You know, some other person being hoisted on us, but it was Heath Ledger. So this show just had it was like no budget and was just a silly show about fashion. But it had all these people who ended up going just going to, to have no careers things. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Ruined their career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that was when I first I started working there, and then because of working at artist services i think i met a bunch of people and oh no i know what happened see i always forget this history rove when that show finished i was pregnant and rove got in touch with me and he was like i want to have my own show and i was like okay why don't well i'm about to have a baby and he was about to go back to perth i was like after i've had the baby let's get together because you should have a talk show. It was just really obvious. Like you should have your own talk show. He was like, okay. And by the time I'd had the baby, he was like channel nine, wanted to make a pilot for a talk show. Do you want to produce it? And I was like, sure. So myself and Craig Campbell produced that show. Craig was making, you know, for channel nine. And then, um, but um, after the pilot, it took them ages to decide what to do. And I got hired by Jigsaw by Nick Murray. So I worked for him for a few years. So that's when, so anyway, that was all the kind of entertainment stuff started happening then and comedy. Right. And yeah, probably, especially when I started working with Nick, I started to really get into comedy. So it was around that time that you were doing like Welcher and Welcher and Kathy yeah. King as well. Yeah. So Welcher and Welcher I did with Nick and then I worked for the Fox Footy Channel for a little while. Right. <laughs> and then I made a sketch show. I think the order of this might be slightly wrong, but it's more or less this. I made a sketch show for um, the ABC that was the reason I had to make Princess, like start Princess, because I had been thinking I would really like to, after making Welcher and Welcher, and I just had made so many programs with so many producers and I thought, I just, I want to be the one that makes the mistakes. You know, yeah, <laughs> I would see yeah. people doing things and I'd think, I wouldn't do it like that, but I'd have to carry it out. And then I just thought, yeah, I want, if I'm going to be making mistakes, I want them to be my decisions. <laughs> so I'd been thinking about doing that. And then um, the ABC had this sketch show that they wanted to make or these two guys they wanted to work with. So I ended up they were like, do you want to do it with this other producer who was at Burberry? So we co-produced that show. But um, because of that, I was like, oh, I have to set up a production company. So that's 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 how Princess started. What show was that? Um, it was called Eagle and Evans. Okay. It was a really great show. <laughs> I still love that show. Um, but the woman who was the head of the network at the time just didn't really didn't like it, it or get it. She wasn't really into comedy, so it got kind of buried and ruined and anyway. But um, I was to discover that that happens <laughs> when you have a production company. But, um, and then that's and then that's when I got the a the ABC were like, oh, we've, there's this guy and he wants to do a show, and that was when I met Chris Lilly. Um, so ABC introduced you to him. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then I did Kath and Kim after that. Right. So that was sort of the, I'm pretty sure that's the running order. <laughs> do you remember, do you remember your first meeting with Chris, what that was like? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, they, they said to him, you need a producer. He had the idea for We Can Be Heroes and. It's a great show. Yeah. Great it's a great, show. I obviously think it's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and they were like, you need a producer. And, um, and then they said, do you, you know, do you want to meet this guy, Chris Lilly? And I was like, sure. So when we met, we had like a coffee together, but both of us are a bit naturally wary of other people when we first meet them. So we were both like, who are you? You know? Mm. <laughs> and, um, but he really wanted it to be like a documentary. He, he wanted it not to be just a comedy. He wanted it to really look like a documentary. And I was like, oh, I've made tons of documentaries. 
and I hadn't really made that much scripted television at that point. Like, I guess only I was like halfway through Eagle and Evans. So I didn't, and I, and I guess Welcher and Welcher, but I didn't really get it. <laughs> I understood documentary making way better. So, um, so we both were excited by that and just went on that crazy journey. What was the crazy journey? It was really, really fun. It was like, because we had a long development period. He was still doing um, the big bite. And so we just, I don't know, we just followed lots of ideas. We met lots of people that were sort of around the characters that he wanted to do. Because that's, you know, when you make a documentary, that's what you do. Like lots of research and yeah you know we worked with a couple other people as well and just talked through story ideas and it was just really fun we drove all around the state and went different places and met different people and filmed things and it was just a big huge weird experiment you know and he was like let's let's not get real actors or you know not known actors I shouldn't say that because some people were real actors but um but just unknown people so that it, the world looks real and yeah we were really big on making it seem real at that point probably more hung up on it than we are now but um was it always his intention to play sort of all the hero characters yeah yeah that was the idea and so it was really like exciting and kind of scary because it was such a new thing and but when it started coming together it was like just a huge relief yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then when people actually liked it it was sort of overwhelming and I don't think I've ever recovered from that right because <laughs> <laughs> it's like so weird <laughs> but um yeah so and then I made Kath and Kim and then I checkerboarded a couple Kath and Kims with like we can be heroes, Kath and Kim, Summer Heights High, Kath and Kim. And then I was like, I can't do any more Kath and Kims. I'm just going to do princess stuff. And you were involved in the creative process of um, We Could Be Heroes and Summer Heights High. But then when Angry Boys sort of rolled around, you kind of yeah. gave it over to Chris. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think initially, I think when it came to Angry Boys, he just wanted to, it was like, what is the vision what would the vision be if it was just me? You know, if it was just, and it was like, what's the pure version? And so that's what happened. And, but the pure version was so huge that it was actually, and it's always kind of been like that since then. It's like a really exciting producing gig because with Angry Boys, just creating those worlds that were so much bigger than anything else we'd ever done before. And because we had much bigger broadcast partners and more money and, you know, more time. And so the possibility and the extent to which we could go to create the worlds was so exciting. So, you know, I mean, I'm really proud of everything I've ever done, but yeah, Angry Boys was like a really massive endeavor. What was it like? Um, producing it with, you know, HBO, BBC and ABC all sort of in mind. In the same thing. I think, I think a lot of times in my career and probably anybody's career, when you are really naive, it can be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I thought through that well. I was like, like the first day that we shot Summer Heights High, I was like, let's shoot this in a real school while it's happening with all the kids there. And it'll just that won't that be great. And it'll be so real. And then on the first day when we got there, like Chris did the first take and walked around the corner and there was just this wall of students like, <gasps> you know, yeah, wow. and I thought, oh, my God, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> like, oh, this is so <laughs> stupid. Whoever thought this was a good idea. And but by lunchtime, we'd figured it out and it was all fine. But I think. Those three, like having the ABC and the BBC and HBO, I mean, it's the best partnership. Like you can't, you know, they really, they all just completely leave us alone to do our own thing. And HBO especially just respect. They don't give us any notes. They don't, you know, they just are like, you know what you're doing, just do it. 
so it was really brilliant creatively and it meant that we had three really great homes and we could become like more confidently global but the logistics of putting that deal together was like the worst experience of my life yeah, right. <laughs> it was really really hard and because it hadn't really now it's a little more common for those kind of productions to like co-productions to happen but it hadn't been done before like that not in television like that especially comedy and so it was a nightmare <laughs> and there were like 17 lawyers I counted at one point and that's you know a, a lot of uh... all the time zones and so there was just always something going on somewhere in the world and you know after we'd made it then it was like wow now we have to launch it three times on three big channels and but who cares about all that? Like, you know, it meant that we just had all this creative freedom and, and we could really establish these big audiences everywhere. And so mm. that was really great. Yeah. What a great complex position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's always important to be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I read a, I read a great quote that, um, in an interview you did, which was that angry boys is complex, intricately woven. And we deliberately know where the lines are. Chris and I try to ignore everything and make it all about the work. How important has it been for you and I guess for Chris as well to, to, to continue to always bring it back to the job at hand, to the work? Because I know that so many young creatives, myself included, can get caught up in, you know, bigger picture things or external sort of, you know, the need for validation or the need for approval or whatever it may be. How significant is it for you guys to always just bring it back to the work? I probably... I, I, there's just no way to like overstate the amount of respect I have for Chris and his integrity. And I never met anybody like him. And I don't think there is anybody like him because he just, not that he doesn't like agonize or think about, you know, all the thousands of options that are open to him and the opportunities and the things that get offered to him literally just every single day. But he, um, he always prioritizes whatever is most creatively important, you know, that's coming out of him. And he, I've never ever seen him make a decision where he, in any aspect of making anything where that's not the number one thing that he's honored. So I guess on the one hand, I'm like an incredible admirer of that. And then on the other hand, I've also absorbed that. So, um, so I think together we both, that's not that we don't agonize and question everything <laughs> for hours, <laughs> but in the end, I think we both back each other and back that idea of like, yeah, making the work the most important thing. And you're right. You can get very distracted by the industry and by other people and what people think of you and rumors and I mean, Chris is pushing the boundaries as well as much as possible. So I could imagine yeah. that he, you know, that one could get caught up in that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of noise if you want to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of noise. But um, yeah, staying focused on what it is that you want to say and why you're doing something. Yeah. And then meditating, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I remember once something happened where I think it was when we were releasing Jamae and or Jonah I can't remember it was but we the ABC accidentally released something like maybe they released a Jonah trailer before we announced it or something it had gone accidentally onto iview and so and Chris and I were in Los Angeles and we woke up and there was like, what, you know, <laughs> this was going on. And so I'd like call Australia and get things taken down and it was not out of working hours and everything it was a bit crazy. And it was messed up because there were just, you know, things circulating that weren't ready to be circulated. And um, so anyway, it all worked out. And then the executive that was in charge was calling me and he was like wow you're so calm like why aren't you screaming and I've always thought about that and I thought well it's just because who cares like it that doesn't matter it really matters if the fans are finding out things that they're not ready to know or whatever or we haven't or they're you know but that matters but 
me yelling at somebody isn't going to change anything. So I think, yeah, it's just always been really important to focus on the things that are, that are meaningful and actually count. I think having that kind of patience and calmness is probably quite uh, useful as a, as a producer, or probably as any sort of creative, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to yell, and sometimes it is the right thing to get angry <laughs> mm. because somebody might need to understand something. But I don't – but just sort of, I don't know, pushing your power around, you know, for just – your own enjoyment is, ugh. you know, that's, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And I guess a lot of people like that, mm. but don't buy into it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, Prince's Pictures has established itself as you know, po- probably the biggest um, producer of comedy content in Australia now. And, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with that kind of ethos of it's, it's about the work. And I suppose, how have you kind of seen the creative process evolving over that time from, you know, when it was just you and maybe you and Chris or whomever it was in the kind of con- conception through to now where you do, you're trying to squeeze people, as many people into the space as possible. Oh, yeah. You mean, how do you like manage that or what? Do no, you, how no, do you no. Like... What, what have you, what, how have you seen the, I suppose, the processing, oh, the process right. evolving um, yeah. And the product evolving as well. Well, I guess a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, the lesson, the obvious lesson that I learned is if you're going to, if your goal is to make lots of cool things, you just can't be totally across all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to pick out what I think I need to be across, but also I try to just let go of a lot of things and give other people the creative reins because even though they might sometimes do things I wouldn't do, it just means we can do more things and they might be great in their own way. So giving people more people, more creative power, that's been a big thing I've had to learn. We had a, like a consultant guy come in at one point to work with us. We've had a few of them, but this guy was very sort of personal coachy. And he, at one point I said, everybody just, I feel like people are afraid of me. Like they laugh at my jokes too much when they're not that funny. And I don't really like that. And he said, they're scared of you. And the way that you can get over that is to stop meddling so much and just be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. Um, And so he really made me practice just like sitting in meetings and not saying much. And was really hard <laughs> but um that make it, people more scared no it <laughs> make when when you stop meddling people become empowered and then they start to do great things because they're you know you've hired them because you think they're great people but they won't do great things unless you give them some freedom to do that so i think i've sort of learned that too and so now there's lots of things going on at princess where i'm like i don't i know about them but I'm not as across them as I probably would like to be. And partially that's because I don't have the time. And partially it's because I think it's important for people to run with things. So Was it difficult for you to kind of give up that control of something that you felt so uh, attached to as your totally. kind of creation? Yeah, it was really hard. And when some of the people I worked with wanted to become partners, I was like, what, why? I, you know, I didn't understand. And I thought we're just making cool stuff. Like, why do you care about any of that? And then I thought about it and I thought, well, this is where they work and they care about it and they're building careers. So they want to feel like they're part of something. They don't want to just keep going on this insane roller coaster ride (laughs) with you for no reason. So it was like, okay, I'll have to give up some of that then to, you know, (laughs) otherwise I'll go insane and I'll just have a string of people burning out and leaving. So, so that's been, I mean, it's worked out, Absolutely. (laughs) but yeah, it was hard. It was definitely hard to give up control. And I think I'll always probably care like 4% more just (laughs) because it, but they're all, they're, you know, I don't know, whenever at some point, there was that thing where people were like, what are the five words or, you know, what is princess or whatever? And I could never really sum it up. 
I've come up with a couple words recently, but that at one point I was like, if you're here, then that's what princess is. You know, like anybody who's here and has, is here because you're, you get it. So do your thing. Otherwise we wouldn't have you here. Yeah. I don't know if that cheered anybody up, but it made sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, you guys, you know, the, all of Chris Lilly's work, you know, things like Open Slather, um, recently 8 M Aboriginal Radio, you know, you guys turning over this amazing content. How do you kind of see when a show or how do you, how do you feel a show has been successful, I suppose, from where you began with Princess Pictures to now with Princess Pictures, how do you kind of um, identify a show as having been a success? That coachy guy asked us that. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, they're all successes. It's sort of like you have, I think, when, when, when you have an idea or somebody brings you an idea and you decide that you want to produce it, there's like a kind of vision. Well, for me, but I think other produce, it's like a producing illness that you have that when somebody, when you've had that vision of that thing on air and it's so exciting and you imagine an impact that's so huge that you'll do anything. And it may, it's almost like childbirth. You forget that there's going to be like years of pain in between (laughs) that moment. And you know, the moment where you're sitting there wanting to do it and, um, so the success is like, did you create the vision that you had at that moment? And then did it make the impact that you wanted it to make? And so I think in some ways they're all successes and they're all failures because in the moment that vision is so big. And I think in my life anyway, everything we've ever made has been way beyond what I could have imagined in that moment like everything is even better than I thought but then the impact is never quite as huge because for me I always think I'm going to change the world yeah so if I wake up in the morning and the sun just rises and everybody goes to work then it hasn't been quite as big (laughs) (laughs) it's like unless you were just people were out in the streets changing everything then you know, it wouldn't be the same as what I imagined. But having said that, everything, everything has made a difference to people. And so well, I think comedy yeah. is uh, comedy is probably the um, the highest way to connect pe- people. Yeah, I think it kind of opens nice. that channel. And then, you know, like with Chris's work or um, or a lot of the work that you guys do, you know, once that channel's open, then you can get in there and have a have a nice message or have a a lasting impact yeah it's like you're tricking people into thinking about it's like all the stuff that I did when I was working in current affairs it's just a different way of getting that message across because when you turn on four corners you're like somebody's going to tell me something really important and um you know and I probably want to hear about that whereas with comedy you can kind of be like it's just gonna be fun and then you're like, oh, you know, like Outland or M. you're like, wow, I'm feeling all this empathy for people that I'd never thought about before. So, you know, yeah, I love comedy. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. um, I watched actually the first episode of um, My Year 12 Life oh, last yeah. night, which yeah. is, I mean, it certainly has comedic elements, but it's, it's yeah. departure from you know, those kind of narrative comedies. I guess it's almost coming back to the current affair yeah. style of um, storytelling. Yes. Um, what was the, uh, I suppose, the underpinnings of that being brought? Cause was that an idea that um, was your idea or was it brought to you? What was the process there? When my eldest daughter went through year 12, I just couldn't believe how terrible it was. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't grow up in this country, I didn't. I wasn't aware of the process. So... In America, when you go to college, you take SAT, you take exams that are sort of like the exams here, but you, the colleges also, they look at all your grades from your whole high school, school career, and they look at any extracurricular things you've done, 
you write an essay that's really important that they pay a lot of attention to. So they're like looking at the whole person over three or four years. It's a much more logical way of doing it. Yeah. So when I was like, wait, what? There's one number? <laughs> what are you? What? And then I watched my daughter and her friends just stress out. And, and there were some kids who just developed pretty bad anxiety issues that you know I'd known them for years and they had been totally normal kids and then suddenly they were literally like pulling their hair out or cutting or you know there was all this stuff going on and I was like this is terrible so I originally thought why don't we set up a YouTube channel we'll find like 20 kids around the country we'll give them cheap cameras they can film themselves and um and then we can like have this sort of support where kids can kind of go through it together online. But I was telling somebody at the ABC about it, how I was going to do this. And they were like, no, do that with us. Do it on television. You know, I was like, oh yeah, television. (laughs) (laughs) I make television. That old thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think, I mean, then like a lot of chaos ensued, but I do think in hindsight, once we started cutting the show, it really had a sense of humor to it. And I think without realizing it subconsciously, we did just cast kids who were funny, you know, and, and also teenagers are hilarious. So I think everything we've done, we've made quite a few unscripted shows and documentaries and, you know, with John Clark and Wendy Harmer. And so there's always some sort of sense of humor. Even we made a documentary lots of years ago with called the ball which was about um a group of kids at a school for physically and mentally challenged kids who have like a big deb ball at the end of the year and so you follow them going through that process but even that sort of has a sense of humor to it so yeah i think i just think life's pretty funny (laughs) but one of my partners is developing a lot of drama so yeah, we might be losing a few laughs. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, is the, the show that, that's uh, being assembled right now in your offices, is that, uh, is that The Slot? The Slot is one of them. There's a few shows, yeah. There's The Slot, which is amazing. And that's Paul, you know, who I work with, Paul Walton, has been has done an unbelievable job with that. It sounds incredible. Yeah. So he, so the idea of that is to kind of, it's like a way of looking at short form comedy, but looking at lots of things that are kind of a bit on the edge. Um, and a lot of them from YouTube or we're producing with them, you know, new content, new stuff. And he's really gotten into it. So he has a relationship with YouTube now, and he's also worked really hard to get, you know, people, YouTube creators together or, you know, working with other kinds of comedians or whatever to create new things. And I just saw a little cut of that and it was great. It's really, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really unusual, but cool idea. And then we're doing a series for iview as well, which has no budget, which is why everybody's squashed, (laughs) (laughs) but I like it. Well, if you'd like to add uh, some sort of really deep and long-winded um, podcast conversation yeah. show to your slate, um, <laughs> I, I know where you can find one. Okay, I'll have a look. <laughs> um, just before we do wrap it up, I had um, I, I just wondered, you know, because you've worked with some uh, some of the biggest names in in comedy and some of the most outstanding kind of writers and and actors. Are there any kind of common traits that you see in across the board with with all of these creative people? I mean, everybody is different and everybody has a different motivation. But I think really highly creative people are always usually just highly sensitive people. And I think I've always felt like my job was to protect them, to, you know, to protect people who are too sensitive to the hard edges of the television world (laughs) and um, allow them to kind of live in a space where they can feel free to use their imaginations and create without having to bump up against, you know, the kind of the industry. 
And that's always been the kind of stuff that I like to make. I mean, there are lots of people who work in television who love the industry and love working within, you know, that kind of, and that generates a lot of really cool television as well. But I think I've always been attracted to people who are, have, you know, really original ideas and sensitive skin. <laughs> John Safran. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so I think, I don't know, that's, I guess, the people I've worked with. But I don't know if that's totally true. Peter Hellier's pretty robust. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I've been thinking recently, like, is there, what is the princess word or the word for me? Because now there's lots of different people at princess. But, and I think the word that I like the most at the moment is disruptive. I like Good word. it. Yeah. I like when things, when we can make things that, you know, jolt people a little bit and make them think about things a little bit differently. Mm. So if something is reinforcing what everybody commonly believes, I'm not that interested in it. <laughs> Even though that might be soothing and I, you know, and it's that's good entertainment too. That's I think that's not what I like to make. I look forward to oh, yeah. seeing how you continue to disrupt. The <laughs> there's a lot on the, there's scene. a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I end all of my conversations with the same question, which yeah. is what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Aside Jet from bag? Chris Lilly. <laughs> yeah. That makes me silly. Um, probably what makes me silly? I think tiredness. <laughs> Whenever I'm really tired, I get really silly and laugh too much. Or maybe stress. Sometimes if you're too <laughs> stressed, you just have to go the other way and start laughing. I'm thinking of all the times that I have really bad giggling fits, which <laughs> is really <laughs> can be uh, pretty embarrassing. <laughs> but um, yeah, probably tiredness and stress. <laughs> What about fatigue-induced stress? That would just be like... That's really... I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a lot of tears of laughter shed <laughs> in those moments, for sure. Thank you yeah. so much, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>